We're glad to have all of you here this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm the pastor of the Oasis Church, and we welcome you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us or this is your first time here. We are glad that you are here this morning. Today we are continuing a series in the book of James, the letter of James in the New Testament. And we are going to be looking at the passage that begins in James chapter 3, verse 13, and finishes in James chapter 4, verse 10. James 3, 13 through James 4, verse 10. And the whole letter of James is about our faith being tested. That this is a letter not written to those that are not Christians, but to those that are. And he's saying, even as Christians, our faith, our confidence in God will be tested throughout our lifetime. That our convictions about spiritual things and what God has said in his word will be tested. Today, we're going to learn that one of the tests of our faith is our settled hearts. That faith is tested by settled hearts. That's why even the songs that we have sung about already this morning really tie in to the message today. Songs about love, songs about the heart, whether it's God's love for us or our love for God. Because what James is wanting to say to all of us today is this. That if our heart is not settled in God, then our lives will be unsettled. Our lives will be restless. And he doesn't stop there. He says, not only will our lives be unsettled, but our relationships with those around us will many of the times and, and the majority of the times be unsettled as well because James wants to point something out to us. That the unsettledness here creates unsettledness out here. It's like those, even as Christians, who go from job to job and from church to church and from house to house and from the next big thing to the next big thing. And they're always looking for something else that their heart has not really settled into God, and so they're still looking for that fulfillment and satisfaction that can only be found in God, but because their heart's not settled there, they live a very restless, unsettled life themselves. And then, as I said, James is going to show us that that unsettledness in our own heart doesn't just affect us either that it will start to uh, produce an unsettledness in our relationships around us. In fact, before I even start in on verse 13 of chapter 3, I want you to look with me at probably one of the key verses in this passage that really shows the, uh, the, the tie-in, if you will, the, uh, the connection between the inside and the outside. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, Where do the conflicts the fights, the wars, and where do the quarrels, the, the strivings and the disputings among you come from? So notice there, James first is saying, 
Your relationships with other people are in an upheaval, right? You're unsettled and fighting and striving with one another. And then he says, does not it come from this, from your passions that are battling inside of you? So inside of us isn't settled, so outside of us isn't settled. The only way to settle outside of us our life and our relationship with others is to get our heart settled on the inside. That's the root. And James is such a book that cuts right to the heart, no pun intended, of what we really need to hear in our lives. Because many times, as I've said before throughout this series, we as human beings, and especially here in America, we like to deal with the symptoms. We, we like to deal with the surfacey, superficial stuff, but we don't ever really want to take time to look down at the root of it all and what is really causing this. What, what do I really need to get to? And what James is going to tell all of us today is that at any time in our life, is our heart really settled in God? Because if it was, then we, our lives, would reflect that and be much less restless and much more settled, and our relationships with others wouldn't be in such an upheaval and and always fighting and striving with other people because we're settled here, so our life is going to be much more settled out here. So let's go back then to James chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? talking again to a group of Christians. He said, well, if we are, let's show that out of our good conduct and the gentleness that heavenly wisdom brings. The gentleness, the the reasonableness, being willing to compromise and accommodate with others and to, to fit others in rather than living my life as in this is the way I am and this is the, the way I'm going to do it and everyone's going to have to sort of fit around me. That's not being a gentle person. Amen. And James then goes on to say, if you have bitter, verse 14, If you have bitter jealousy and selfishness, notice, in your heart, says don't boast about that or tell lies against the truth because then he goes on to say in verse 16, because that kind of wisdom, that kind of philosophy of living does not come from God. It does not come from heaven. It is, notice he says, earthly. It is natural. It is even demonic. Now, I want you to zero in on that verse because that's another key verse because you could take each of those words, earthly, natural, and demonic, and you have there then the description of really the enemies of our heart as a Christian. They are, as the Bible tells us, the world, the earth, earthly, the flesh, natural, and the devil, demonic. You see, the Bible tells us that there are three primary entities that are going to always strive to unsettle our heart in God. The world will always try to, you know, offer us something to pull our heart away from being settled in God. 
our own flesh, our fallen human nature, will always seek to not be settled in God, but to, again, go after something else or someone else. There's always never content, all of that. And then obviously the devil, his primary mission is never for us to come to a place in our life where we settle our heart in God. And so he's saying, when we live a certain way and what is going on in our heart, then our life is reflected by that. So then he goes on and he says this. He says, if we find in our lives this jealousy and this selfishness, then we're also going to see disorder. Verse 16, disorder. You could also translate that word unsettledness. <laughs> and every evil practice, he goes on to say in that verse. Unsettledness. You see, the Bible teaches that our God is a God of order. He's a God that is a God who is settled and stable and secure. And he wants those who claim to follow him or have a relationship with him for us to reflect that. That instead of living very unsettled, unstable, restless lives, that we once and for all settle our hearts in God and live a settled, stable, secure life through him, you see. Because he says, as he moves on into verse 17, that the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that is from above, has seven, seven sort of character qualities or traits to it. It is pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is accommodating. It is full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial, and it is not hypocritical. And then he makes a statement to all of us who live in community with each other as Christians. And I hope that you will see this verse even from my perspective as a pastor as sometimes the decisions and why I do the things I do and make the decisions I do because he says in verse 18 something very important, a great principle for all of us. And that is that the fruit of righteousness or the fruit that consists of righteousness, is planted in peace among those who are making peace. In other words, he's saying God wants to plant righteousness in the hearts of his people. But the only environment, the only soil, the only climate that he can do that in, that he will work in, is one that is peaceful, that is settled when you and I are not settled, when we have churches that are not settled, where you have churches and community of believers that are, again, quarreling with each other and striving and disputing and slandering and gossiping and sowing discord, then God's work cannot be done in the hearts of his people because it is not in an environment or climate or soil that the Holy Spirit wants anything to do with, you see. God first is calling his people to harmony and to peace, first of all, within their own hearts and then with each other. And I say then what I said earlier because that's one of the reasons why as the pastor, 
It is primarily not only my responsibility, it is all of our responsibility, but primarily my responsibility as the pastor to make sure that we, as much as humanly possible, maintain an environment of peace in this church. So that's why at times I might ask somebody to step aside or step down or whatever because it's like you are creating a climate of discord and disharmony in this church and you don't realize that you are doing damage to what God wants to do because you are constantly striving with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the fruit of righteousness, James says, is only planted in peace. So that's why it's important that you and I as Christians have settled hearts individually. Because if we don't bring a settled heart to our community of believers, to our church or to our other relationships, then the work of God is even affected or negatively affected by that. That's one of the reasons why God calls his people to settle our hearts in him so that we can be at peace inside here and so that we can at least for the most part, be at peace with those around us so that this soil, if you will, this spiritual soil, this climate, this environment, it's the same thing physically. Obviously, farmers can, can plant, but their crops do much better whenever the climate cooperates, the soil is good, the environment, all of those things, they all tie in to the kind of harvest that, that they're going to see. And God is saying to his people, you want to see a harvest of righteousness? You want to see strong churches and strong communities of believers that are going after God and, and on fire for God and making a difference in this world? Then you all have to learn to be at peace so that I can truly plant something deep and abiding within each of you and within your community as a group of Christians. Amen. Which is why then, he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, where are the conflicts coming from? Where are the, the fights and wars coming from, you see? Where are the quarrels, the strivings, and the disputings amongst yourselves coming from? He says, is it not from this? Is it not from the passions that are doing battle inside of you? By the way, that word battle is a word that's used for armed conflict in James' day. It's a word that's used for intense conflict. In other words, James is saying, how can we be at peace outwardly whenever we are in such a battle inwardly? He says the battle has got to be won first inside here before our lives can reflect that kind of peace and settledness out here. And far too many Christians, James is saying, they don't have peace in here. They're still battling every day because they're allowing the world or the flesh, or the devil, or all three to pull them away from having their hearts settled in him. Amen. You see? Even this morning, I was praying as I was preparing for this message and knowing what it was about and, and uh, coming to church, saying, Lord, obviously, I don't know the hearts of the people that are going to be there and the people that will eventually see this on YouTube or listen to it on podcast. But I said, 
Whatever heart they bring, God, I am praying today that through our worship and through the word, that people would get to the place with you where their heart, maybe for the very first time in their life, would start to be settled. <laughs> and maybe their heart at one time was settled, but through circumstances or, again, being pulled away by something or someone else, that, God, they would come back and settle their hearts today in you. Because the reason why God is calling us to this is God knows this is what's best for us. That it is only when we as human beings settle our heart in God will we truly find fulfillment and satisfaction and love and peace and joy and all the things that we really look for, but we look for them in other places or in other people or in other things that we'll never find them there. So God, out of his love for us, says, you want that kind of life? You want the best life for yourself and for those around you? Then come and settle your heart in me. Amen. Settle your heart in me because James says he goes on in verse 2 and verse 3 to say you know you're at such turmoil inside you keep wanting more and and you keep going after more but you never really get there because nothing really again satisfies and you won't even ask God you have not because you ask not because it's almost like I'm not going to, you know, go to God for, for you know, my needs. I'm going to try to satisfy my needs outside of God. And, and James is like, why would we do that? Do we not, again, have the faith to believe that our ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction can only be found in God? And if there is something that you and I truly need that would truly benefit us, that would truly profit us, do we not have the faith to believe that if we ask God for it and God, you know, will, will certainly give that to us if it's something we truly need? That's faith, you see. But so often we, we lack that real trust and belief that God really has our back and, and really has our best interest in heart. So we try to satisfy ourselves outside of him. And James says, where's that getting us? Where's that getting us? The only thing that's producing in all of our lives is an unsettled, restless heart. That's why James uses a very strong word at the beginning of verse 4. He calls these Christians out and basically says, you're adulterers. Maybe not physical adulterers, but you are spiritual adulterers. And then if you look down at the end of verse 8, he uses the term to describe these Christians that he's talking to as double-minded, literally two-hearted. You have two hearts. You have one heart that you're trying to do God with, but then you have your other side of your heart that's trying to pursue worldly or fleshly or even things that that the enemy of our heart is offering to us. And James says, and even Jesus said, you know, we can't have it that way. We become double-minded and, and two-hearted, and, and you can't split us up and, and go full on one way or the other. Either we're all in with God or we're not. And James is saying too, too often as Christians, we, we try to play this game where we're like half in with God, but half in with what we want to do. And James says, again, where's that getting you? Because unless you and I are all in with God, unless our heart is totally settled in God out of our faith in him, then our heart's going to remain restless. And we're going to spend our whole life running after things that truly do not satisfy or bring contentment or satisfaction 
until we place our heart totally inside of our relationship with God and say, finally, God, I've come home and I realize that there's nothing outside of you, there's nothing beyond you that, that I'll ever find that is going to bring me what only you can bring me, and we finally put it there, then James says, there's this battle. There's this conflict within that produces conflict around us. Now, James makes a very interesting statement in verse 5. He says, the spirit that God caused to live within us has this envious yearning. Now, I'll just tell you up front, this is one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to translate and interpret. There's many different ideas on what this verse means. Is he talking about the human spirit? In fact, that's why even the Net Bible has a small s rather than a big s. But can I tell you, this is one of those times where Pastor Jeff disagrees with the Net Bible translation. I think it should be a big S because I think what James is talking about there in the context is the Holy Spirit that God has placed within us. And what James is teaching us here is this, that because of this battle, because of these enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, what God does to Christians is literally put his spirit himself within us. And that the whole time we are living our Christian life, even though these other things are trying to pull our hearts away from being settled in God, that the Holy Spirit is doing just the opposite. That the Holy Spirit is spending all of his time inside of us trying to get us to settle our hearts in him. Because his yearning for us, his desire for us is what's best for us because he's God, just like God the Son and God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit wants us to finally settle our hearts in him. So he's doing everything he can to get us to plan our heart in God, you see. And then James says in verse 6 that this God gives greater grace. Why does he say that? Because you and I as Christians could say to God, well, God, I'd, I'd be happy to settle my heart in you, but I've got these enemies of my heart, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they spend all their time striving to get my heart unsettled. How can I stand up to that? How can I fight against that? How can I finally settle my heart? And God would say, because my grace is greater than all of those. Amen. And my grace can enable you to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and everything that they offer. Because the one who lives within us is greater than he who is in the world. Is greater than the world, greater than our flesh, greater than the devil. And because he gives greater grace, then you and I have the enablement, the ability, the capacity to truly settle our hearts in God and, and not succumb to the pressure of the world, the flesh, and the devil against us. It is possible or else God wouldn't tell us it's possible. And none of us are going to be able to stand before God one day and say, well, God, my heart would have been settled, but I had the world, the flesh, and the devil working on me all the time. God would say, I gave you greater grace. I gave you greater grace. And you didn't have the faith to believe and trust in my grace that it would be sufficient to stand up and be strong enough against the pressures of those other things that continually pull against your heart and try to get your heart from being settled in me. 
So what I want to really focus on today for the next few minutes is verses 7 through 10. Because I think James gives us here in these verses three things that you and I can do to make sure that our heart is settled in him. I'm going to give them to you up front, and then we're going to go back and talk about them for a couple minutes. The first one in verse 7 is submit to God. The second one is in verse 8, draw near to God. And the final one is in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Let's talk first of all about the one in verse 7, submit to God. It literally means surrender. Yield yourself. Because when you and I resist God and what God is trying to do in our lives through his Holy Spirit, then we're probably surrendering to the world, the flesh of the devil, you see. And so often that's the case even for Christians, is we fight God rather than yielding or surrendering to God and submitting to him, and then that gives the world, the flesh, and the devil inroads into our heart. God says once and for all, surrender, surrender, give up, stop fighting me. Stop fighting what I want to do in your life because I have your best interest at heart. Don't you know that if you stop fighting me and you just trust me and you just crawl up into my arms like a baby, you know, in, in a parent's arms and just relax and just rest in me that I've got your back and that I love you more than anything or anyone else in this universe and that I will watch over you, I will care for you, I will meet your needs, I will give you rest. Everything you want can be found in me. Stop fighting me. Amen. That's what the word submit to God means. Too often as Christians, we're fighting the wrong person. We're fighting God and we're surrendering to the world, the flesh, and the devil rather than submitting to God and fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And notice he says, if you and I surrender to God, that means we will have the, the capacity, the ability, the enablement to resist the devil. See that? And say, you and I cannot battle the devil without first bowing before the Lord. And when you and I are willing to surrender our lives to God, that puts us in a greater spiritual strength position to be able to resist the devil. And notice the promise that James gives here in the word of God. When you and I learn to finally stop fighting God and surrender our hearts to him and settle our hearts in him, guess what he does? He flees. You know what the word really means? He avoids us. Now, it doesn't mean that you will never have spiritual warfare in your life and that the devil will completely leave you alone for the rest of your life. But for the most part, the devil is not going to spend his time on the hearts of Christians that he knows are settled in God. He's going to spend his time on those that are still double-minded, that he, he still, you know, has inroads with. Because honestly, if you study sort of the, the mindset of the devil in the Bible, he's not someone that wants a hard fight. He, he wants somebody that he can, he can uh, attack and overcome pretty easily, pretty quickly. That's why the devil is referred to in the New Testament as even a lion, do you know even lions, as strong as they are, they don't, they don't want to be in some ferocious fight, even though they could probably beat most of the, the animals that they would fight. 
they don't fight that way. They don't fight fair in a sense. The, the lion will look for the stragglers of the pack, the ones who are weak, the ones who are sickly, the ones who can't keep up, and those are the ones that they attack who are sort of away from everybody else. The devil does the same thing. The devil looks for those who are weakest and those who still haven't their hearts settled on God, and those are the ones he continues to attack. But the ones that, man, he, he can look and see, nope, heart's settled, He's going to pass on and go somewhere else because he doesn't want that hard fight, you see. And then in verse 8, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is basically saying in verse 7, live in the will of God. That's submitting to God. That's surrendering to God. It's an act of the will. Not my will, but your be done. James is saying to all of his Christians, you want a heart who's settled in God, then live in the will of God. Submit to him. Second, live in the presence of God. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. You say, well, isn't God near me at all times? Yes, but there's not that, that intimate connection and fellowship and communion that James is talking about here. That's not only living in the presence of God, that's loving the presence of God and not wanting to leave the presence of God. So many Christians, again, it's like the presence of God is something that I occasionally visit. Hey, God, I'm here for my yearly visit. And God's like, I wish you'd come by every day. I, I want to spend time with you every day. Why are you just coming by every once in a while? And James is saying, when our heart is settled in God, it will not only be reflected in the fact that we will live the will of God, we will want to live in the presence of God and never leave. We'll want to stay. We'll want to abide. And the thing is, we actually can. We can actually live every day throughout our day in the presence of God. We can actually live every day in the will of God throughout our day. We never have to leave. God's never going to ask you to go. You will never find a time in your Christian life where God says, okay, I've had enough of you. Go bug somebody else. You'll never hear that from the lips of God. God's always like, can't you spend some more time? Can't you, can't you be here a little bit more often? That's what drawing near is. It's not just living the will of God, it's living in the presence of God. And then, notice he goes on to say, anything in my life that is keeping me from living in the presence of God, I need to be willing to lay aside. Whatever's distancing me from the presence of God, I need to get rid of. And then he uses these words in verse 9, grieve, mourn, weep. Listen, James isn't about... Christians not having joy in their life and not being happy and being able to laugh and all that. If anybody should, it should be Christians. But what he's saying here in this context is stop making a joke about this. Stop, stop not taking this seriously. James is saying this is serious stuff that I'm talking about and we should take it seriously because literally people's lives are at stake. And James is saying don't you realize that your own life is at stake here? The reason you're not happy and you're not joyful and you're not fulfilled and you're not satisfied is because your heart's not settled in God. Stop playing games with your own life. Start taking the things seriously that you should, James says. And then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
If verse 7, submitting to the Lord is living in the will of God, and verse 8, drawing near to God is living in the presence of God, then verse 10, humbling ourselves before the Lord is living in the power of God. Because that's really what it means to humble ourselves before God, that we realize that we don't have the strength or power or the wherewithal to live life the, the way we should and, and how we need to. We need to rely and depend upon God constantly. But too often, we've got too much pride. God, I can handle this problem. I can, I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God, so you just stay over there for the really big things or when I need you and I'll come and call. But, but I'm going to primarily navigate my life without you. That's pride. That's I'm going to live life on my own and I'm going to do it myself. When you and I humble ourselves before the Lord, we are saying to God, I don't have what I need to have, God. I need you along the way. I need to partner with you every day. I need your power in my life. I need your strength. Because with your strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. But without you, I can do nothing, John 15, verse 5. I, I do not have it within me to be able to navigate life and be, be prosperous and, and be successful and, and be fulfilled and be satisfied. I need you, Lord. I, I humble myself before you. This statement may shock you, some of you. Think of the story, very well-known story in the Bible of David and Goliath. I am convinced after 35 years as a pastor and obviously spending most of my life in church, that most of us Christians are more like Goliath than we are like David. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, Goliath had enormity. <laughs> he was over nine feet tall. He had equipment. The Bible tells us that his armor weighed over 100 pounds, and then he had all these weapons, and he had experience. The Bible tells us he was a man of war. Too often, we trust in our size, in our budget, in our technology, in our skill, in our resources, in our history, in our heritage, and we don't trust in God. Amen. David, the reason he's was able to slay the giant is not because of how big he was and all these resources that he had at his disposal and all of that. It's because he went out and faced that giant in the name of the Lord and in his power, not David's power. And too often, even as Christians, we're trusting in the things that Goliath trusted in instead of humbling ourselves before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm not trusting in all this stuff. I'm trusting in you. I humble myself before you. And notice James says in 4.10, God will exalt you, just as he did David. When you and I live in the power of God, the power of God will enable us to do things that the normal human being cannot do. Because there is a limit to what normal human beings can do apart from being connected to a supernatural God. But when you and I as Christians are connected to a supernatural almighty God that nothing is impossible, then our lives begin to reflect that as well. Amen. And so James here is saying to all of us, 
Here's another test of our faith, folks. Do we really believe God? Do we really trust him? Do we really have confidence in him? Our faith will be tested by the condition of our heart. And James isn't talking about the physical condition of our heart. He's talking about the spiritual condition of our heart. Is our heart settled in God? An unsettled heart that is not settled in God will reflect itself in a life that is very restless and unsettled, always jumping from one thing to another, jumping from this thing to that thing, this relationship to that relationship. And then even, as James points out, not only that, I can't settle on anything and stay with something very long, but he says, then you start looking around at all the relationships around you. And you start looking around going, man, that relationship is in trouble, that relationship is broken, that relationship's very in, in upheaval. And who's the common denominator in all of these relationships? And why is that? Is it all these other people? Or is it me? Is it because I'm bringing my unsettled heart and my unsettled, restless nature into all these relationships. And it's not only now negatively affected me, it's now negatively affecting all these relationships around me. God today is calling upon his people through his servant James to come to a place in our life where we say, God, I'm coming home. I am settling my heart in you. Could we stand and pray? God, I, I just pray today that we would allow you to work in our hearts this morning that if we've come into this auditorium this morning and our heart is restless, our heart is unsettled, that, God, we would truly, truly begin to settle our hearts in you, that we'd stop fighting you, God, that we would surrender, that, God, we would live in your will and that, we would draw near to you right now and live in your presence. And that, God, we as your people would humble ourselves before you and live in your power. God, I just pray that if there are some here today that at one time in their life, their heart was settled. But somewhere along the way, the world, the flesh, and the devil has maybe pulled that heart away and it's now in a state of unsettledness that God today would be the day where that heart comes back to you it snuggles into you it settles into you it crawls up into your great big arms and says father I'm I'm back I'm home God use our time of worship now 
to direct our hearts towards you and to settle our hearts in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.